ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय हरे कृष्णा सतुरे वी आर रीडिंग फ्रॉम श्रीमद् भागवतम कैंटो सिक्स चैप्टर नंबर फाइव टेक्स्ट नंबर फोर्टीन सिक्स फाइव फोर्टीन एंड द टाइटल ऑफ द चैप्टर इज नारद मुनि खर्स्ट बाय प्रजापति दक्षा सो दक्षर इज कैशिंग नारद नारद मुनि टेक्स्ट नंबर फोर्टीन नानारूपात्मनो बुद्धि स्वैरी नीवागुनान्विता तन्निष्ठान अगतस्येहा किम असत कर्म भिर्भवेत नानारूपात्मनो बुद्धि स्वैरी नीवागुनान्विता तन्निष्ठाम अगतस्येहा किम असत्कर्म भिर्भवेत नानारूपात्मनो बुद्धि स्वैरी नीवागुनान्विता तन्निष्ठाम अगतस्येहा किम असत कर्म भिर्भवेत नाना वेरियस रूपा हु हैज फॉर्म्स और ड्रेसेस आत्मना ऑफ द लिविंग एंटिटी बुद्धि द इंटेलिजेंस स्वैरीनी अप्रोस्टिट्यूट हु फ्रीली डेकोरेट्स हर सेल्फ with different types of clothes and ornaments eva like guna anvita endowed with the mode of passion and so on tat nistham the cessation of that agatasya of one who has not obtained Iha, in this material world, kim asat karma bhi bhavet. What is the use of performing temporary fruitive activities? Translations and purport by Shri Prabhupada. Shri Prabhupada ki. Narad Muni had described a woman who a woman who is professional prostitute. The Hariyashwas understood the identity of this woman. Mixed in the mode of passion, the unsteady intelligence of every living entity is like a prostitute who changes dresses just to attract one's attention. If one fully engages in temporary fruitive activities, not understanding how this is taking place, what does this actually gain? 
purport by Srila Prabhupada. Now Srila Prabhupada's purport is in two paragraphs. The first paragraph is uh, quite ex explicit. No? So in the interest of the demographic of the assembled devotees, I'm just going to tone it down you know, just because children are also sitting there. So if you're watching your phone, you will know me that I'm just toning it down. It's it's Prabhupada's words, but we have got a lot of children here. A woman who has no husband declares herself independent, which means that she becomes a prostitute. A prostitute generally dresses herself in various fashions intended to attract a man's attention to her body. Today, it has become a much advertised fashion for a woman to almost go naked, covering her body only slightly in order to draw attention of a man to the parts of Thank you, bro. So, where did we stop? Similarly, I'll pick it from there in any case. Yeah. Similarly, the intelligence of a living entity who does not turn his attention towards Krishna or the Krishna consciousness movement simply changes dress like a prostitute. So what Prabhupada is saying, and then we'll continue, what is the benefit of such foolish intelligence? So what Prabhupada is saying here is that our intelligence is unsteady. I'll just want you to remember this point, yeah, out of all that, that the intelligence of a conditioned soul is unsteady and it keeps changing. Kids, will you be able to remember that? We are talking about what? Changes of, in changes in intelligence. That's the first point, yeah? Let's keep going. One should be intelligently conscious in such a way that he need no longer change from one body to another. What is the next change now? One body to another. So the first change Prabhupada mentioned was change of intelligence. The second change is change of body. Next paragraph. Karmis change their profession at any time. What's the third change? Profession, change of profession. Karmis change their profession at any moment. But a Krishna conscious person does not change his profession. For his only profession is to attract the attention of Krishna by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra and living in a very simple life without following daily changes of fashion. What's the fourth change? Fashion. So what were the four? Huh? First one? Intelligence, then? Body, then? Profession, then? Passion. So the only constant here is the change. In our Krishna consciousness movement, fashionable persons are taught to adopt one fashion. In our Krishna consciousness movement, that means Prabhupada is talking to you and me, so pay attention now. <laughs> In our Krishna consciousness movement, fashionable persons are taught to adopt one fashion, the dress of a Vaishnava with a shaved head and tilaka. They are taught to be always clean in mind, dress and eating in order to be fixed in Krishna consciousness. 
What is the use of changing one's dress, sometimes wearing long hair and long beard and sometimes dressing otherwise? This is not good. One should not waste his time in such frivolous activities. One should always be fixed in Krishna consciousness and take the care, cure of devotional service with fame, determination. So the solution to all the four changes is what? Firm determination in Krishna consciousness. Oma jnanati mirandhasya jnananjana shalakhaya chakshurun militam yena tasmay shri guruve nama nama om vishnu padaya krishna presthaya bhutale shri mate bhakti vedanta swami niti namine namaste saraswate deve gauravani pracharine Nirvisesha sunyavadi paschatya desatarine Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vashadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hari Hari So as we noted, Prabhupada is talking about four changes. Changes of intelligence, changes of body, changes of fashion, and there was one more, changes of profession. Yeah? Let's talk about intelligence, then we'll talk about body, and time permitting, we might talk about the other two things as well, yeah? So, let's talk about intelligence. Now, what is happening here is that Narad Muni is telling the sons of Daksha that what is the use of having unsteady intelligence? Our intelligence should be steady. It should be fixed. And why does he say all that? We'll go into that little later. But let's just straightforward go into this topic of intelligence, yeah? Let's look at different aspects of intelligence, first of all. You know, what is intelligence? How is it different from mind? What is its function? How do we make it un how do we change it from being unsteady to steady? And how do we get it to be fixed so that it's not corrupted by the mind time and time again? So let's take this for now. Let's talk about intelligence and also contrast it, it, it with mind so that we can get the definitions so that we can get the understanding with clarity yeah a lot of times intelligence and mind are also used quite loosely now, we kind of take it to be the same thing and if you are using it, it very loosely it's perhaps it's fine as long as you also are cognizant that there's a technical difference between its functions in terms of its structure it's the same because both are subtle by nature. Bhumirapa-nalovayo-khamano-buddhi-revacha-ahankara-itiyam-me-bhinna-prakriti-rastada. We know these ways. So there are five gross elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And there are three subtle elements, mind, intelligence, and false ego. In Deya, Krishna says, mind, intelligence, and false ego. So there are two things. And all three, including the false ego, ahankara, are subtle. So that part is clear for now. That mind and intelligence are both subtle together with false ego. But they are different in its function, so is the ahankar, so is the false ego. So what's the difference? The difference is that the function of intelligence is to rationalize, is to think, 
is to evaluate. Whereas the function of mind is sankalpa and vikalpa. It is to desire and reject. It is to accept and reject. The mind desires. And desire can be twofold. Desire to do and desire to not to do. Can you relate to this now? Sometimes we want to do things. Sometimes we don't want to do those things. They are both function of mind. Desire, no, mind is the creature of habits. So whatever habit, whatever activities we are habituated to, that is what the mind will ask us to do. And whatever from past impressions it knows that we should not do, that we didn't like, then it will tell us not to do. So sankalpa and vikalpa. Whereas intelligence will evaluate what is right and what is wrong and then activate the mind to do the right to do the right and to do the wrong now here the right and wrong when the intelligence is evaluating does not necessarily has to be based on scriptures because what is right from a scriptural point of view may not necessarily be right from a non scriptural point of view i'll give you an example to bring the point let's take an atheist the atheist uses his intelligence to rationalize the non-existence of God. Agree? Simple, yeah? He has used his intelligence and he has evaluated to conclude that God does not exist. Now, that is completely non-scriptural, but he has still used his intelligence. And therefore, this is the intelligence. This intelligence is impure. This intelligence is conditioned. This intelligence is unsteady, which is what Prabhupada is talking about here. So there is impure intelligence and there is impure mind. So when we are talking about purification, what are we talking about? Are we talking about purification of the mind or the purification of the intelligence? The answer is of course both. But in our experience, you will note after practicing Krishna consciousness for some times, the, the, the intelligence gets purified faster than the mind. Through intelligence, Shastra Chakshu, we know what is wrong. So now we are talking about right and wrong according to the scriptures. Yeah, Let's talk about devotees now. Forget the non-devotees. So we know what is right through the scriptures. We have you know, done Bhakti Vriksha, we have done Bhakti Shastri, come to many Bhagavatam classes, had many videos on YouTube. So we know what is right, what is wrong. But the reason we still engage in sense gratification is because the mind which is still impure acts faster than the intelligence. So both are impure except that the intelligence is slightly more purified than the mind, let's say in our case. But because the mind says, let's do it, intelligence is still, you know, nidrasan. It's still sleeping. It's not even figured out that something is going on. So when the mind impels us into sense gratification, and mind generally impels us into sense gratification, which is short term, quickly, no? instant bliss, is material bliss, so instant. So we compel to do it, we impel to do it. Whereas intelligence, which is more rational, no? An evaluatory process it goes through is still sleeping, but its interest is generally for the jiva's long-term welfare. Hmm? Mind is looking at short-term sensual enjoyment, whereas intelligence is looking after our long-term welfare. So there is a conflict in them when it is conditioned, when it is impure. 
But when the intelligence gets more purified than the mind, then the mind forces us to do things which the intelligence will resist. But the problem is by the time we indulge in the activity, the intelligence has not even woken up. It's generally after the event that the intelligence says, why did I do this? This was not supposed to be right. Take any example now, you know. Take, uh, take gulab jamun. Eat one gulab jamun. Sense says, out of sen after the mind, we are habituated to eating it, eat it. Intelligence is still sleeping. Second gulab jamun. Eat it, intelligence is still sleeping. Third gulab jamun. The fourth, the fifth. When we eat the sixth gulab jamun, the mind says, take the seventh one as well. No problems. Now, intelligence is waking up because there's too much sugar in the body. Yeah? <laughs> it has woken up from the sugar attack and says, one was enough for you. Why six? But the mind is conflicting to say, take the eight as well. And maybe take two or three for your families as well. Just take everything because tomorrow you will want some more gulab jamun. So you see the difference, you know? So both is impure, but one is faster. Now, how do, we, how do we fix this? So that's the problem statement. Both are impure. One is long term, one is short term, one is faster, one is slower. And, and, and no, there is a mismatch. How do we fix this? Let's take some examples. First one. Mind is like our internal, uh, what do you call that thing, not power board, our internal notice board of sticky notes. Yellow sticky notes, used it. These days it's digital as well, yeah? You, know, you can have on your laptop all the digital sticky notes. I have got many, I love them, you know, I like them. But what happens over time, those sticky notes, whether it's on the wall or on, the, on, the, on, your, on your laptop, there are too many of them, just too many sticky notes. And it can become very congested and, and can exhaust us. So mind is like that. It's a sticky note. It's an internal sticky note when all these notes are being stuck continuously. Some, some notes are stuck for short term and when the wind blows, they are blown away. Some sticky notes are stuck for long term. Now the mind has absolutely no idea which sticky note is important, which sticky note is agent. It doesn't differentiate. Why? Because it does not have a discriminatory power. Discriminatory power lies with who? Intelligence. So just sticking it, just sticking it. Imagine, you know, an employee or, or, a, or a person just sticking the sticky notes on the whiteboard without discriminating why is he doing it. He's only sticking it because he's habituated to sticking it. So he just continuously sticks it. What is wrong, what is right, what is good, what is bad, what is short, what is long, what is prominent, what is not prominent, doesn't really matter. And mind is like that. Now, uh, psychologically, it is, it is proven the thoughts, no? the thoughts or the notes that you give more attention to takes more prominence and power. Remember this. Those thoughts, in other words, those notes that you stick here, if you give it more attention, it gains fuel to get power and prominence. It will want to come in the front forcefully, impelling us to do things. Yeah? But what we need to do is sorting out. How do we sort out? If there are too many sticky notes in our mind or on the board, what do we do? We literally sit down one day and clean it up, right? Clean the ones that we don't need. Now this requires intelligence. So we need to pin those notes that are important 
and bin those ones that are not important yeah so pin the ones that are important bin the ones that are not important at all and forget about them put them in the recycle bin so in that way we have to you know decluster our clustered mind have you got this ex experience you know when sometimes uh, when we wake up in the morning and let's say we are we are physically a fit person you know we are healthy there is not too much of you no know, weight we are getting so we know for sure that bodily wise we are fit when we wake up but mentally we are exhausted already without even doing anything 10 minutes of waking up we are buggered now that is called mental exhaustion and why is that mental exhaustion happening it is happening because of mental congestion there is too many thoughts in the mind not knowing what is wrong what is right what is important what is less important it's just congested and that congestion itself can cause exhaustion that's called mental stress no or mental tiredness or mental uh, worn out so what we need to do is get those thoughts out through intelligence through devotion we need to get those thoughts out so as as much as we you know always keep our body fit you know sometimes when we have more weight than what we should you know then we get physically tired we have to you know lug around all our excessive luggage throughout the day and the knees just give up it's just too much so how do we get rid of our bodily fats bodily fat two ways one is dieting the other one is exercise very simple yeah dieting and exercise is how do we get rid of our bodily fat you hearing from a person who has tried this three times <laughs> in my life to lose my body fat three different ways i tried i'll share with that you with with you offline if somebody is interested of my strategies third time it's working again so we lose the body fat by dieting and exercising now similarly we lose our mental fat by dieting and exercising again but what does i mean metaphorically what is dieting what is what is exercising when we are trying to lose our bodily fat we give to the body the right amount of food at the right time agree that is the definition of dieting right amount of food at the right time so similarly to get rid of the mental fat we need to give the mind the right amount of thoughts at the right time don't give it ice cream chocolate cake gulab jamun jalebi because this all puts the fat so similarly if we give the mind the thoughts that are anti devotional service or non devotional service then they are mental fat that we are building up and will get exhausted and frustrated and it will come out in our character in our disposition in our behavior it will come out so restrict what we feed the mind because it's already fat <laughs> let's not make it more obese restrict what we feed the mind and exercise through scriptural study the scriptural study study will purify the mind as well as sharpen our intelligence last one last example let's take this is prabhupada's example of course you know which most of us are familiar with intelligence is like the parent and mind is like the child head of this many times yeah intelligence is like the parent the mind is like the child so you again can see the difference the son and the mother in one sense are the same because they you know the, the son is the amsher of the mother it comes from the same body so structurally same 
but individuality is different and there are two different functions for the mother and for the for the child so similarly the mind is like the child and the intelligence is like the parent robot tells us so the parent knows that the child can be naughty especially in today's age now you know when we have kids of this age and little bigger it's just so much of you know, if we just sit uh, quietly in oblivion thinking that the child will watch the right thing on youtube or tiktok facebook whatever then we are mistaken that is what that is the intelligence is sleeping hmm? when the mother or the father is lapsing in their responsibility the naughty child will most likely watch something bad why because it's not if you think of it it's not the child's fault as such as well it is because the child is unequipped at the moment in terms of his or her maturity to make the right decision and we know that most of the time actually they will make the wrong decision i mean seriously we make wrong decisions <laughs> so why how do we expect the child to make the right decision every time so therefore it is the responsibility of the parent to supervise the child to make the right decision and a and a good parent is one who what's does what acts before the child acts hmm? a good parent proactively acts before the child act not reactively act when the child has make, made a mistake hmm? when i was working in my office now i had a i had a boss who was you know just sharing with me his realizations he said he made the similar point and i just like it it registered in my mind so i'll share with you he said if the child drops a jar of jam in the aisles of safeway and breaks it when you are shopping that is not the time to scold him the time to teach him was that we are going shopping and if you are picking something make sure you pick it steady don't drop it no please hold it tight that is the time. that is the that is the responsibility of the parent but reactively if the jar is broken and you are embarrassed that's not the time because as much as it's the child's fault it is the mind it is because the intelligence was still sleeping yeah so like that and that's why again they say you know in uh, in uh, in philosophy in in psychological terms when we are dealing with our children we should always be making positive statements rather than the negative even when we are saying the same message for example we can say two things to the child please don't drop that jar of jam or we can say please hold it tightly it's the same message but when we say please don't drop that jar of jam the child will can drop the jar of jam because his consciousness has been dovetailed into thinking that there's a word drop in my mind drop 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 and eventually i'll drop it <laughs> but when you say please hold it tightly then in his mind there's a picture that there is a gem and i need to hold it tightly and subconsciously what happens we hold it tightly that's what you learn in as much as for us as well yeah so it's always important to make a positive statement than the negative statements and again another example you know and please take this one little bit more seriously as well i know of many examples you know when when children come back to temple you know how in teenage days they kind of go away and then come back you know a lot of times i've heard from parents that the child who attempted to come back to the temple he didn't enjoy the experience of coming back because of how the devotees treated him or her hmm? 
and this is again all playing on the psychology. No? When we see a person coming to the temple after many days or many months or many years, what we want to say to them actually sincerely is that, welcome, no? we have, no, good to see you. Now we can relay that message in two ways. Again, pick on the positive and the negative statement. Negative is what? I have not seen you for so many days. Where have you been? Now our intent is clear that we want to make him feel welcome. But the statement is negative. Where have you been? I have not seen you for so many days. Now how will you say it in positive? Somebody wants to attempt? The same statement, the same message in a positive way. How will you say it? Say again, Natalie. I'm so happy to see you. What else can you say? I saw you recently. What else? What are you doing these days? No? Yeah? Just see? The same message. Now, how will the, if we are that person, now put ourselves in their shoes, how will we feel? When somebody says, and we were reluctant to come to temple, and somehow the other, and we are teenagers, by the way, no? And, oh, whatever. You know, when we try to come to the temple one day, and somebody says, where have you been? It's like, mind your own business, mate. <laughs> That's how we may react, to say, what? What, who do you think you are? You know, that's how the mind will think. But if somebody says, I'm so good, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. How do we feel now? My goodness. I thought these guys were crazy, but they are pretty good people, you know. They were making me feel welcome again. So see, you know, in terms of... So anyway, let's go back to the story of the day. Yeah? We are talking about intelligence and mind. Intelligence is like the parent, child is like the mind. So, as parent, two things. Proactively, we have to act before the mind makes a mistake. And secondly, proactively, we have to be positive. Hmm? Always tell the mind positive things about Krishna, how he is beautiful, how devotees are good, how prasadam is nice, how the philosophy makes sense. Everything positive, keep feeding the mind. Yeah. Somehow the other, you know, the negative will take, get taken care of. Is that clear on intelligence and mind? Any questions on that before I talk about the other of the three changes? Yeah? Between the mind and the intelligence, which is superior, which takes a decision which is more favorable to us? Ah, good question. So between the mind and the intelligence, which is superior, part one of the question. Part two of the question is which takes decision. Actually, that was part two. Part three was which takes the better, better decision. The answer is that intelligence is certainly superior than the mind. Krishna tells us in Bhagavad Gita that higher than meta is mind. And when he says matter, he means bhumirapanulobayok, no? the five gross elements that we talked about, air, tota, fire, air, anita. These are the five gross elements. So higher than the gross elements, Krishna says, are the three subtle elements. And what are the three subtle elements? Mind, intelligence, and false ego. So higher than the mind is the intelligence, Krishna says. Why? Because the mind acts on impulses, whereas the intelligence works with on reasoning. So we can intellectually decide what is right, what is wrong. So that is the function of the intelligence. So intelligence is certainly higher. But when we are conditioned, then the problem is mind is faster, intelligence is slower. Mind is powerful, the intelligence is less powerful. So it's the opposite when we are conditioned. So we need to turn it around by making the intelligence powerful and quicker and swifter compared to the mind. Which ones makes the right decision? The mind, as I said, does not make decisions at all. Yeah? Mind does not make decisions. Intelligence makes the decision. So, 
Intelligence is the one that makes decision. Which one is favorable to our Krishna consciousness? Both. Both of them has to be purified so that they are thinking about Krishna only. No? In the mind there is Krishna, in the intelligence there is Krishna. Yeah? Yeah. The mind passes the thoughts to the brain. Yeah. The brain is the buddhi. Correct. Buddhi is the, the intelligence which is given. Yes. Now the brain again passes the, the decision back to the mind actually. So in that event, it's a brain which takes a decision. So I'm not. Uh, but brain decision is a little slow because the thinking process, we are actually spending a lot of time. Yeah, the brain, it's, it's not necessarily always the brain will pass the information, the intelligence will pass the information to the mind. The mind is on autopilot. Hmm? The mind will act. It's not necessary for the aeroplane to fly always, for the pilot to be there. He can put the aeroplane on autopilot. You know? so, the, so the mind is like plug and play. It will just play what it is habituated to. So for, let's take an example. Hmm? Let's take... Uh, Something that, biryani, no? I like biryani. Now, last time when I ate biryani, it was spicy. So now my mind knows that biryani is bad for me. Next time when it sees it, it will not like the biryani. The intelligence can still be inactive completely, but the mind just knows, vikalpa, reject this biryani. Now, on the other hand, there is another biryani somebody else made, and I loved it. Now mind knows, because mind, mind is the map of impressions, yeah? So it has seen two types of biryani. One it knows is vikalpa, the other one it knows is sankalpa. And that is called autopilot now. This person cooking biryani reject, I'm not pointing at anybody here. <laughs> this person cooking the biryani accept, that's all. Intelligence can be completely asleep at the moment. And it will just eat and reject according to its past habits. So mind can function on its own without the intelligence being activated. And that is the problem of a conditioned soul. It acts on autopilot on the wrong impressions of the mind. Yeah? Anything else? Yes. Okay, very good question. Somebody was listening, that means, yeah? Because we talked about the three subtle elements. False ego, mind and intelligence. We said there are three subtle elements. So what is the interplay? of false ego between mind and intelligence. The, the interplay is that false ego, let's, that, let's get back to the definition. Impiva mind is what? That makes impiva desires. Okay? Impiva intelligence is what? That makes impiva decisions. Now the difference between impiva and pure is false ego. And I'll explain that again, not again, little bit further. The presence of the false ego makes the mind make the wrong choice. Now what does false ego mean? False ego means ahankar. When we are ahankar, that means aham mameti. Everything is for my enjoyment. We have that purusha bhava, that we are the enjoyer. So when we think we are the enjoyer, which is a result of the false ego, then we want to make choices from which we can enjoy. That is called impure desire. When the false ego is removed completely, or purified, which becomes a true ego, and true ego is what? Jivara Saruparahari Krishna Nityadas, that we are the servants of Krishna. So when we have true ego, then the mind has got pure desires to save the Lord. And the intelligence facilitates that 
by saying mind yes go ahead and save the lord hmm? so what is the what is the what is the role of false ego in that false ego makes the mind and intelligence impure true ego makes the mind and intelligence pure clear okay Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can think of the yeah, correct, correct. Those bad sticky notes are the. Let's rephrase that. I think the the notes on the sticky notes, <laughs> if they are unfavorable to Krishna consciousness, they are the ahankaras. Yeah. So if we have the, if we have the sticky notes with good notes, like key memory verses or something, then they are true ego. that this is for the pleasure of the lord yes bro i still have got more to cover yeah but i just want to finish this before we move into the next section yeah what is position of art is art is perfect yeah okay what is the what is the position of heart i'm not going to go any further than heart though yeah we'll stop there don't ask me about lungs and everything else as well <laughs> so <laughs> heart is a matter because it's body a person who is dead will still have heart Now, so heart is one of the five gross elements but the reason we say offer our heart to krishna is because in the heart resides krishna the soul and the super soul both reside in the heart but they pervade the entire body of course so when we say offer our heart it means offer our consciousness to krishna because the consciousness is uh, any not animated the consciousness is uh, activated no from the heart because that's where the soul is throughout the body so when we offer the heart the, that means we are offering our life and soul to krishna the soul is in the heart but it does not literally mean that we go to a you know organ shop and buy a heart and give it to krishna to say this is my heart and i'll put somebody else's heart in my body that's not what it means no it's not the uh, literal physical heart it is the it is the consciousness it is it is called chetana the cheta the chitta yeah okay okay let's talk about the other changes what were the other changes second change first one was the change of intelligence which we spoke about next one change of body no propal says that intelligence means that we stop the change of bodies remember which means no but now this can be a little uh contradictory or confusing at times because sometimes we are told that we should finish all our material business and go back to godhead go back to vaikuntha the other times we are told that a devotee does not care whether he is in vaikuntha or is in swarga or is in naraka it's the same as long as he has got the seva of krishna what is important is the service of krishna rather than the location from where we save krishna so this may seem contradictory no really we have to go back to godhead and don't change our bodies anymore because once we no go back to godhead there is no change of body that is it no we live our own forms in the vaikuntha planets and the other times we are told we don't mind taking birth after birth after birth after birth which means what constantly taking one body after the other provided we have got seva to krishna now which one is right because both can be right and both can be not right so how do we reconcile the apparent contradiction the way we reconcile it is that our vedic spirituality operates at multiple levels 
for that matter even bhakti also operates at multiple level no we can have Narad, uh, lord kapila tells mother devahuti that they can be bhakti in the mode of passion bhakti in the mode of ignorance bhakti in the mode of goodness and bhakti in the mode of pure goodness now bhakti does not change it is the sadhaka or the practitioner who is changing depending on which mode he is in when we are doing bhakti so bhakti is constant but the practitioner can be changing so vedic spirituality operates at multiple levels so that it is all inclusive you know at to everybody to whatever levels they may be at so now you take this example of whether we want to go back to godhead is that our desire or we want to take birth after birth after birth in this material world and save the lord which desire is the right one the answer to that is just depends at what level we are as simple as that depending on what level we are if we aim for something higher that is nice but not forgetting that yet there may be something that is even higher than what we are currently aiming let's give me an example let's say they are two children of the same parent hmm? two child two children now and both are let's say academically at different levels the first child scores 40 every time and the second child scores 80 every time which one will be rewarded which one will be scolded obviously the one getting 40 will be scolded the one getting 80 will be rewarded no problems correct now this is constant marks they normally get in the in one of the exams the best, the child who was getting 40 gets 60 and the child who was getting 80 gets 60 both of get the same mark from 40 to 60 from 80 to 60 which one will be rewarded and which one will be scolded now you tell me what's your name gopal you tell me which one will be rewarded which one will be scolded yeah why because hmm. but the child who is being scolded from coming from 80 to 60 thank you it's like why are you scolding me both of us got 60 if your barometer was 60 then neither of us deserve praise praise or neither of deserve chastisement but why unfair and the reason the parent is doing it is because as you said as gopal said from 40 to 60 is a step up and it and it deserves rewards whereas from 80 to 60 is a step down and therefore the chastisement now put that in our case for us who find the material world miserable it's full of miseries if our desire is to get out of this place and go to Vaikuntha that is a step up and there is nothing wrong with that desire now you take an exalted devotee who makes the statement that I don't mind taking birth after birth after birth in this material world where is he coming from? he is operating at that 100% for him it does not matter whether he is in vaikuntha or in material world for him is the service of the lord that is most important so he is blessing at that level it doesn't really matter where he is but for us it matters and this is why an exalted devotee listen to this carefully as well yeah please an exalted devotee always condemns you know the impersonal liberation salokya sarishti samipya sarupai katvam atpita diyamanam na grihnanti vina mat sevanam jana piva devotee condemns impersonal liberation why because it's a step down for him he is blissing out in krishna consciousness 
to be in a place which is not material but is spiritual which is which is uh, brahma uh, which is brahma jyoti it's a step down for him so he he condemns it but he condemns not out of arrogance but out of humility to say i want to save krishna full stop where i save him doesn't matter but the last thing that i want is impersonal realization i don't want that but for devotees like us getting out of the material world if that's the desire fine as long as we also understand that one day we will get purified so much that it will not matter you know whether the lord takes us back or puts us here as long as there is service to krishna i'll give one example to make that point last example picture is the prasadam hall because i know it's almost 9 o'clock yeah picture is the prasadam hall you know and somebody's birthday is there anybody's birthday today no yes no somebody's birthday is there and there is a feast and feast and birthday means what it's choka block prasadam i mean not probably now but just pre covid days yeah there was no place to step in and wh- how, what is the ambience in the prasadam hall it's crowded it's noisy to some extent it's dirty because there is no prasadam on the floor there is no space there is congestion there is buckets coming left and right we are but what we are doing we are trying to gate crash push all the devotees aside so that we can be in the prasadam hall the face or no we just get little bit not little bit very big bits of everything we want to have the cake and eat it as well yeah because it's better now what is happening the prasadam hall in one play in one sense is a very inconvenient place at the moment for the devotee because it's just so noisy and busy but we are willing to overlook all the inconvenience why because the nectar in the prasadam is higher then the inconvenience of the structural layout of the prasadam hall and the logistical inconveniences that are there the prasadam is the prasadam is more this an echo is it no the prasadam is more relishable than looking at the situation of the prasadam hall this is exactly how a pure devotee sees he sees that the bliss in bhakti is so much that he is willing to overlook the inconveniences of the material world miseries it does not matter to him because the nectar is so much so whether you put him in vaikuntha where there is no miseries or you put him in the kuntha where there is all miseries he is overlooking both what he is only looking at and experiencing and relishing is the joy and the bliss of saving krishna yeah that is what it means when prabhupada says we have to end the change of body that is at our level no let's stop the cycle of birth and death but at the highest level if krishna takes us krishna gives us another birth as preachers as his servants absolutely no problems with that as well so that was about change in body yeah i'm going to park the other two the change of function and the change of profession and i'll come back to them maybe at the back end because i want to just quickly bring us to why we are discussing all this yeah we are discussing and that's 10 minutes yeah and then in another 10 minutes then i'll take some questions why are we discussing all this we are discussing all this because narad muni is being cursed by daksha now why is Nar- why is daksha cursing narad muni let's go into that to see why this is all happening what is happening as a backdrop to this is that 
Daksha. This Daksha is the same as the son of Brahma, by the way, except that he has taken another body. So if you go way back, Daksha was the son of Brahma, and he cursed Lord's, he, not cursed, he, he offended Lord Shiva, and then you know, he go to goat's head and all that, we park all that, then in his next life, he is now born as the son of uh, the Prachetas. No? So here, Daksha's, Daksha means an expert progenitor. His seva to Krishna is to progenate because he's saying that there is not enough population in the world and he wants to progenate. No? So he creates 11,000 sons. The first 10,000 that he creates are called the uh, Hari Yashwas. Yeah? And they are the 10,000 sons and he tells the 10,000 sons to go and progenate. No? Go and increase the population. And in those times, before increasing the population, a person would go and do austerity. Just as for us as well, Prabhupada said, if you want to increase the population, then go and do Garbhadana Samskar. So similarly, they went to do some austerity, you know, at a particular mountain. Vindaya mountain, I think, from memory. One or the other. Anyway, so they did, ten, they did lots of austerities to please the Lord. So, what happened there, when they were doing the austerity, the 10,000 sons of Daksha, Narad Muni appears there and says what? Why are you doing this? Why are you getting engaged in all these, you know, worldly affairs of increasing the population and all that? Better than this is to do bhakti. And Narad Muni preaches to them through an allegorical story, just as he had preached to the Hariyashwa's grandparents, which were the Prachinbharis, also through an allegorical story. That allegorical story, which was the Puranjana allegory, was a very long allegory. Whereas here, Narad Muni compacts the same philosophy into ten subjects, in three verses, or maybe four verses, just, you know, few verses before this, today's verse. He packs them up. Ten subjects. And because it tells in an allegorical way, the, the sons of Daksha, which are the Hariyashwas, they all unanimously interpret it in the same way, what is its meaning. So in one of the allegory, amongst the ten that Narad Muni had given, one of them was, what is the use of having an unsteady intelligence? Connects, you can connect the dots now. What is the use of having an unsteady intelligence? In other words, hey mates, why are you using your, why are you engaging your intelligence in progeny? In progenating this world when you can use the same intelligence steadily and do Krishna Bhakti. And the Hariyashwas get convinced and do Krishna Bhakti and they will become Ramcharis. Now, when Daksha hears it, that Narad Muni has delivered the 10,000 children, he's not so happy. Why? And he deserves not to be happy in one sense because his seva to Krishna is what? To progenate the world. So he's not happy. But he lets it go in second attempt. So second time he creates 1,000 children, which are called Savalashvas. No? They are 1,000 children. So total 11,000 children. And when Narad Muni hears that another 1,000 candidates are there for preaching, he opens up another Bhakti Vriksha, huh? gets all these 1,000 there, and then says, hey, 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 forget about Purushin, he might hear this story and do Bhakti. And Narad Muni uses one very uh, interesting technique of preaching this time. What does he say? Note this down as well if you are preachers. Yeah, he says, after telling them the allegory in a very simpler way this time, he says this particular point, which is very profound. He says, just follow your senior brothers. <laughs> just follow your elder brothers. 
powerful statement. It happens, you know, when you, when you are preaching sometimes, especially in Bhakti Vrikshas, you know, if one person becomes Krishna conscious, and then you just say, you no, know, how he became Krishna conscious, the others get, you know, inspired by that person. It's a real life example, you know, of somebody getting transformed. So Narad Muni says, you know, your brothers accepted it, and there were 10,000, you are only 1,000 outnumbered, so just follow them. And what happens? The 1,000 Swaraswas also become Brahmacharis and become Krishna conscious, and they reject the, the, the task of progenation. Now what happens to Narad Muni, uh, to Daksharya at this point, when 11,000 attempts have been unsuccessful, how do you think he will react? Furious. He is furious at Narad Muni and then he curses Narad Muni to say that this is the so-and-so curse. Now, if you think of it, actually, Narad Muni approaches Daksha after delivering the 10, 11,000 children. Now the question arises, why does Narad Muni approach Daksha after doing something that he knows that Daksha will not be very happy with because he's already, his, his role is to progenate, my role is to deliver. I've delivered the 11,000 children, Narad Muni goes to Daksha. Why do you think he goes there? To get cursed? That will not be a very intelligent thing to do, yeah? To go to somebody who is furious? To deliver. Who said that? It's simple, no? Narad Muni thinks, I have delivered Prachinbhari, no? They are ancestor. The Prachetas were delivered. Lord Shiva, Rudra Gita chanting. I delivered the Hari Ashwas, 10,000 achievement. I delivered the 1,000 children. Now, why should Daksha leave out? He also deserves the bliss that is there to enjoy. So, Piva devotee always approaches somebody with compassion. That's the point. The only reason Srila Prabhupada went to the U.S. amidst all the inconvenience of the material miseries there, it is only because of compassion to the suffering souls to say, I'm going to give you, I'll, I'll deliver you from this cycle of birth and death. So out of compassion. So now you see what is happening here. Bring it together yeah? and I'll stop there. Daksha is doing his service to the Lord. Let's not minimize that. He's, saving, he's doing his service to the Lord by doing progenation. Except that that is a karma yoga. Karma yoga means you know, doing some karma for the Lord. Narad Muni is a bhakti yogi. He is also saving the Lord and his business is to deliver the suffering souls. Now you bring the two head on head, Narad Muni and Daksha. One karma yogi, one bhakti yogi. Clash. Clash in what? Service. Been through that many times? When there is clash in service with devotees, one devotee says this, the other devotee says this and there is a clash. And both are devotees and both are trying to save the Lord. But there is a clash. Now how are we going to react? We can react in two ways. Wrong and right of course. If we react like Daksha, we can curse the other devotee, which is a Vaishnava Aparat. We won't go and curse for sure, but we'll offend the devotees. That is called Vaishnava Aparat, to be avoided. We'll, that's the lesson to be learned out of this pastime. Avoid Vaishnava Aparat. Or we can react like Narad Muni. How does Narad, Narad Muni react when he's cursed? Now first of all, what was the curse? The curse from Daksha to Narad Muni was what? That I curse you that you will not have a permanent residence. Now we put in our so much money to apply for PR, yeah? And Narad Muni has been cursed that you will not have PR, no permanent residence, you know, no Australia, no India, nothing. Just move around everywhere. And Narad Muni sees the curse as a blessing. Narad Muni is 
purity, uh, is elevated enough to counter curse daksha but he doesn't do that he takes the blessing uh, the curse as a blessing this is the art of bhakti the art of bhakti is to look at the curse as a blessing the art of bhakti is to look at a miserable situation as an opportunity to get out of that situation so narad muni takes the curse as a blessing to say my god i'm going to be a parivarjaka acharya i'll be traveling around the world and preaching what else can do have asked for and he remains tolerant what is what are the abhushan of a devotee what are the characters of a devotee titikshva karunikaha suradam sarvadehinam achata satrava santa sadava sadhu bhushana so titikshva karunika suradam sarvadehinam so a devotee is very tolerant a devotee is very merciful a devotee is very calm a devotee is always very compassionate so daksha doesn't retain uh, narad muni doesn't retaliate so that's your take home message when faced with a conflict you want to be daksha or you want to be narad muni the choice is yours mind will tell you to become daksha if the mind is habituated that way or the mind will tell you to become narad muni if that's how the mind has been trained so when that situation comes calm it down and activate the intelligence which is this this is the intelligence and intelligence tells us that in this particular episode sukhdev goswami is telling maharaj parikshit maitriya is telling vidura suta goswami is telling the sages of navisharanya shrila prabhupad is telling us that the right thing is to be narad muni be tolerant don't overreact don't retaliate be compassionate to everybody at any point in time at every point in time that is intelligence activate the intelligence activate the intelligence all pakit ya gantashwar bhagavatam ki jai shri prabhupad ki any further questions or comments yes okay so the question is uh, uh, is you now when we are talking about desires is it the soul desiring or is the mind desiring the answer to that question is the soul is desiring no the mind is although it is subtle there are five gross elements and three subtle which we discussed about but all eight of them together are material okay so matter is unconscious no? it cannot do anything on its own at all for example again when a person dies when the soul is removed from the body the body still has mind and intelligence and whatever it used to have but it's just not operating anymore so the soul desires so the the soul desires but the problem when we are conditioned which is why we are called conditioned souls is that the soul is desiring something that is conditional something that is impure because there is a layer of ahankar in front of the soul and it is making wrong choice one after the other so the desire is from the soul the body facilitates us do it provided it is sanctioned by the lord so there are three doers no bhagavad gita krishna tells us there are three doers the jiva the jagat and the jagadish you can remember this as three jays the jiva and the jagat and the jagadish so the jiva is the soul that its function is to desire the jagat which is the five gross elements its function is to facilitate and the jagat and the jagadish which is the ishwara which is the lord its function is to sanction not even a blade of grass can move without the sanction sanction of the lord we say yeah so the soul desires 
but it can be pure or impure desire. If we are not conditioned, it will be a pure desire. If we are conditioned, it will be an impure desire. Okay? Nice question. Thank you. Anything else? So whenever we are in problem, we put Krishna in the center of the problem. Yeah, but I think the nicer way to say it is will be, you know, whenever we are in problem, situate ourselves in Krishna, in Krishna consciousness. We don't want, when we place Krishna in the problem, it becomes, <laughs> you know, grammatically it sounds like, you know, we are giving, we are offering Krishna some problems. I know what you mean. So the intent is, yes, whenever we are in problems, Situate ourselves in Krishna and the problem will diminish. For example, no, in Bhagavad Gita, Arjun is in problem. Chapter 2 of Bhagavad Gita, chapter 1 of Bhagavad Gita. Arjun is in biggest problem that none of us will ever face. Both sides of him are armies and a war is imminent like Ukraine and Russia. Imagine you are caught between Ukraine and Russia. What will you do? So what Arjuna does, although he is surrounded by problems left and right and center, he walks right in the middle of the problem. He right, walks right in the middle of the two armies. But what he does, he takes Krishna with him. He doesn't say to Krishna when the voice before, no, before the Bhagavad Gita is spoken, he doesn't say to Krishna that Krishna, I'm in deep problem at the moment. You stay here. I'll just walk there and then see who is on the other side. He doesn't do that. What he says, oh my Lord, take the chariot in the middle of the two armies. So take the chariot means what? It actually means, you come with me. <laughs> I'm in problem, you come with me. So whenever we are in problems, always keep Krishna with us. And then what do we do? We tell Krishna, or we tell the problem actually, that no matter how big the problem, oh my dear problem, just know that the Lord is much bigger than the problem. What the mind does, it makes us believe that the problem is bigger than the Lord. That's the function of the mind, yeah? It makes us fools and leads us to believe that the problem is bigger than the load. But when we activate the intelligence, then what we can do? We can tell the problem that, hey, hey, see how big Krishna is. In front of Krishna, the problem is trivial. And that's how we solve it. So always be Krishna conscious and the problem will diminish. Or at least if not diminish, we can tolerate the problem. Yeah? The Pandavas went through problems, everybody went through problems, but they always had Krishna with them. So the problem looked very trivial to the point that Mother Kunti said, let these problems, problems come again and again and again. Of course, we can't pray like that. But at least what we can say, that this problem will also pass. Yeah, already? We'll park it here. Thank you, dear devotees. Hare Krishna.